Hello, everybody. Good day. Uh, welcome back to another Merged World. So let me make sure the microphone's working. I think it is. Yes, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Hello. I know, right off the bat, let me begin by saying I am aware that the microphone is faint and that I sound a bit quiet. I apologize. The microphone is going out on me. I am trying to raise the funds to get a new one. So I will do my best to speak a little louder than normal. Uh, you guys may have to crank me up a little bit, but at least there's no background game sounds or anything that will blow your drums out, hopefully. Um, thank you for coming back and uh, letting me tell my story once again. Uh, let me tell you that coming to the wire, literally as my face was appearing on the screen, I was setting the pencil down. I've been writing for, for a while, nonstop, trying to get everything ready for today. How close am I to getting the goal? I think we are halfway there currently. Uh, just just a shy bit under halfway. So that's pretty cool. Um, I don't have that goal set up to show up on Merged World streams. So unfortunately, I don't know for sure. But uh, I do have some cool things. Got some story to talk about today. Uh, what's the donation goal? So right now, we're I have it set for 200 to be able to get a good quality mic with likely in the arm and everything, it'll hold it up here. So that way, hopefully sound and such are a little bit better moving on. Whole package pot filter. So the whole thing I've got set for 200 uh, is what we're we're working on. But again, uh, that's uh, a goal in progress. Don't expect it overnight by any means. Um, so with today's stream, I'm excited uh, because some serious... Uh, the cool stuff hopefully is going to happen. I hope you like it. Um, if you were here last week, we'll be continuing from last week's story where Red went through uh, his test, if you will, uh, the first of three tests that the heroes have to pass in order to get the circlet magic item thing, that artifact that they're going after, uh, that they need to save a young man's soul. Um, so we'll be continuing with that story, and hopefully... You guys will like where I go with it. Um, had some a little bit of feedback uh, from last episode that uh, people thought that episode was a little sadder than normal. Uh, yes, <laughs> strap in uh, because <laughs> theme of the week. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to be continuing with that story uh, moving forward, but hopefully you guys will enjoy it. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see where we at. So before I begin, I did want to show you guys one cool little thing that I got for Christmas. Um, a D&D &D thing. My wife got me this. So this thing lights up and it came with a 20-sided dice. This is an official Dungeons & Dragons dice dungeon. So if you have a, a dice that is rolling ones or rolling, rolling poorly, you can put it in your dice dungeon. Uh, it's funny as hell. It comes with a little book on how to uncurse your dice and things of that nature. Humorous little thing. But it's a little dice dungeon. It came with a little 20-sided to go in there. thought that was cute as hell. Mini dice dungeon. Looks like this. Uh, came from... Uh, I think she got that at Books A Million, if I remember correctly, she said. Uh, so, kind of cool. Kind of cool. Got that in there. Um, right, let's see. Uh, hands so cold. It is cold uh, out in here. It's got some snow recently. Uh, not like... Canada cold, but cold enough that my hands hurt because I got bad arthritis in my hands, especially when I've been writing for four or five hours. Ow! <laughs> but enough of that. You're here to hear some story. Um, I'm very excited about something that's going to happen tonight. Uh, you'll know when it happens. Uh, hopefully, you'll like it. Uh, but I'm very excited about that. Hopefully, you all had a good holiday. For those of you who are wondering, it is 
what, two days? It's the 27th. We're just a couple days after Christmas 2022. Uh, puts you guys in perspective if you're watching this 10 years down the road where this one was filmed. Uh, so that's why I showed you a Christmas present. It's not Halloween or nothing. Christmas. Uh, there's no Christmas theme in today's Doom, though. Doom being the nickname for Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, that's what my group and I used to call it. Uh, Poop and Doom was kind of what, <laughs> mostly Doom. That's uh, what I what I would bring. Um, so yeah, just a brief uh, recap on where we were, and then we'll continue the story again. Uh, hopefully, it sounds not horrible. I am trying to talk a little bit louder than I normally do. Hopefully, that won't throw the inflection all the whack. I also just learned out fifteen learned fifteen minutes ago that last week's episode for some reason didn't post to iTunes or Spotify. I thought it was up there. Uh, did not know this, so I apologize for that. Posted it like I normally do. For some reason, it didn't go over. So I'm going to have to check on that after the stream. Do my best to have it up there tonight or tomorrow. Uh, not sure why it did not load to any of the sites. i got to check my coding, make sure everything looks okay. All right. So um, where we left off. Our friends, our heroes, our amigos. Uh, Seraph, Deacon, uh, Mugen, and Dina joined Red, uh, a... Follower or uh, follower of fate in a quest to find a magical circlet. It's an artifact that allows uh, the move, moving or removing of souls. There is a young man somewhere whose soul has been trapped inside of a gem. And Red is on a quest to save that young man's life. Uh, fate has led him, led him to Seraph because he, uh, he needs Seraph for this quest. Uh, Red has worked with Seraph's father uh, many, many years ago in the past. Um... And, Sarah, and in exchange for his help, uh, Red has offered to trade him a Realm Gate key. Now, these keys themselves can only be found in the world. No one can make them. They are artifacts themselves of extreme power. Okay? Uh, the Realm Gates are the same. These gates are all over Merged Worlds, and they are a way to travel from one location to another. So basically, you open up a gate... Go inside that gate, you come out the other gate. Think uh, Stargate kind of concept there. Um, you can travel to any gate of which you know its name. It's kind of like a command word or a magic spell word. If you know the name of a gate, you put your key in the gate, just in the open space of the middle of the gate, the gate opens up, and you can go to that place. And whenever you have a key and you put, put it near a gate, it literally the word or the name of that gate shows up. So you always can know the name of the gate you're at. And the key will work on any gate. There are keys distributed throughout the world. It is believed these were all part of the creation of Merge Worlds through Omniana. The gates and the keys are part of their world creation. So they're out there. And Red has one. And by providing that key to Seraph, Seraph and his friends could use a Realm Gate to get back home to Serenity. Because there is one just a couple days out from Serenity, the Serenity Realm Gate itself. Um, and uh, that would definitely be a great way to get Dina and themselves back home amongst allies and friends for additional safety. Because now, of course, it's protect Dina time from Oromon, as we know that that's where we're going. So on this way, on the way here, they went through a small city on the edge of this massive swamp they're going into, and they picked up a young man, young man named Ward, a thief. Because they didn't have a thief. Um, Red was led to him as well. Uh, fate, whatever it may be, has pointed out that they needed Ward for some reason. Uh, Ward agreed to join them on this quest and has been traveling with them, doing all the thiefly things, checking for traps and picking locks and things like that. He's a young man. If I remember, I said he's right around 16. And 
He's the first mini I've painted in a little while. We've got a picture of Wade. I'm gonna or Ward. I'm gonna show him to you. Here he comes. Boop. There's Ward. Ward Quick Fingers. Let me make that a little bit bigger for you. Okay, I can't. It's not let me click on. It. Oh, it's because I have it locked. There we are. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna unlock it so I can show you Ward better. So there's Ward, right? Young lad. Thief, thief, knives in particular. Human, young man. Good looking, strapping young lad, if you will. But that is Ward Quick Fingers. Quick Fingers being. A nickname more than an official last name, by the way. Because if that was your real last name, who would hire you? You know what I mean? Really? Think about that. But Ward joined them on the quest. Once they got inside, they found this room with three doors. They had a metal disc that Red already had that opened up one of them. Inside was a very tall, seven-plus-foot-tall dude. I think he's even bigger than that. Uh, who looks relatively undead, but definitely powerful. They can sense the power from this dude. And he says, if you want to get this circlet, it was given to us to protect it. We will, you have to pass three tests. Uh, do you accept this, this quest, this test thing? And they said, yes. And Red was tested first. His was the test of the heart. And so it was basically, we had to go back and we lived, he had to go back and watch some of his past, what led him down the path of what he is. Uh, he didn't really have to do much in there other than to watch what was happening because he couldn't interact with it, but it was a way of going back through and basically the creature in general was testing whether or not his heart was worthy enough that this type of magic item could be, or artifact, could be entrusted to him. Because again, I want to point out, they've been given to him to protect... Clearly, if these tests exist, it's assumed that eventually this thing may be needed by someone and it can be given to that person. Why would you have this test if that wasn't the end outcome? Um, but due to the nature of the artifact and what it can do, they're not just going to give it to anybody, right? So Red successfully passed that test. They gave him the second silver disc, which allowed them to open up the second door of the three-door chamber and take them on to the second test, though they don't know who will be chosen to be tested next. And that's where we left off. Red did share with them the basics of his test. Here's what I went through. I saw my past. He probably didn't give all that specific information. We learned that Red at some point uh, worked for a rather dastardly person doing things that he's not proud of and has spent the rest of his life trying to make up for them. Probably didn't talk a lot about that. But he did go into some detail so that whoever is the next one tested, they have an idea of what they're walking into, assuming the test is kind of along the same lines, which it wasn't a combat-based test, at least the first one wasn't. And these things are very powerful, these figures. they Just the energy and power coming off of them is very easy to sense by all of them standing there. Even Mugen, <coughs> excuse me, who has magic resistance. Not 100% magic resistance, mind you. He can still be affected, but... Uh, he's not as affected, so it takes pretty powerful spells to really have a big kick to him. He can walk through a fireball, pretty much unscathed. Maybe not his clothing, although there are some things that we haven't really covered about that, about is it just him, his flesh, or does it also count on the things he brought with him that were created uh, in New Gully, uh, New Gullyville, or um, does there like an aura around him? Does it go a certain distance? These are things <clears throat> that his friends have been attempting to discern through testing and such throughout these adventures. When they have an opportunity by the campfire, Deacon's doing tests with them all the time. They are trying to do that. And now that Mugen sees what magic is, because they've come across it a few times now, and it's not something he's ever had to deal with, he wants to know more about it, because he's not a big fan. I don't like magic, this zoomy, flashy things that hurts my friends. Uh, definitely, I would like to know what my immunities are to it, um, so that way I know what hurts me and what doesn't, right? Because you don't want to go running into 
a fireball if you know if it's going to hurt you. You want to know these things. So all that stuff's kind of going on there. That's a little bit of his side. So now they've completed the first test, and they are going into to their second test, uh, which is the uh, in the second door. So I'm going to begin. This one is very heavy reading this week. Lots of reading. I wrote a lot without realizing it. My fingers are very sore. I do this for you because I love you. Here we go. The second door opened much like the first. And as the heavy wooden door slid aside, the companions could see another tunnel leading forward. They carefully made their way forward, no longer concerned about traps. The tests they were facing were clearly the protection that they had to get by. Which makes sense. If they haven't had any traps yet, they haven't triggered anything, and they got to this room with this real powerful dude says, we're going to give you a test. Well, that's really the, the wards, right? They don't really need other traps at that point. You don't have to worry about them as much. You could, I guess, but they're not at this point. Everyone walked in silence, lost in thought. Reasonably lost in thought. They're still being very careful not to be attacked and stuff. You know what I mean? Hello, Mr. Colonel. Uh, let's see here. Everyone walked in silence, lost in thought. They couldn't help but wonder who would be tested next and what that test would entail. Finally, the tunnel led them into another chamber, much the same as the first that Red was tested in. Again, it was lit by torches, and on the far end was another dais with a, where a silver disc sat. So there's that disc they need to open up the last door. They can see it across the room. Next to it was another large throne where sat another tall figure. It looked like the first figure, though its robes looked more regal, and they gave off the appearance of someone higher ranked and likely more powerful. Okay, So right off the bat, they see these robes. It's, it's, and anybody who's ever hung out in this world, around clerics, would be like, okay, a, a low-level, entry-level, level one cleric is going to have very much different robes than a level 20 high priest, right? They're going to get more ordained, they're going to get more fancy, they're going to get nicer. You can look at someone across the room and say, that's a powerful cleric, that one's not so much, in general speaking. Um, as they entered the chamber, the figure came alive, rising from its chair. <clears throat> Welcome, travelers, the figure said. You have passed the first test, but still must face the second. Will you accept this challenge? The figure stared directly at Ward, who swallowed nervously. He looked to Red, who could only smile. This is your choice, son, he said. You know why we seek the circuit, but you have to decide if you're willing to risk yourself to save a stranger. Right? Because nobody knows who this kid is. Red won't tell them. That's part of the deal. They're like, I can't tell you who it is. We've got to protect him. Even though I trust you guys, it's part of the deal. I can't reveal who he is, but we're, going, we're trying to save someone who's worth saving. That's important. Ward, of course, knows even less than everybody else. He's the newest one in this group. Ward looked at each of them, then pursed his lips and grumbled, I guess if fate's brought me this far, I might as well see it through. He turned and walked up to the figure. Get it over with, he said defiantly. The figure reached out and placed its hand on Ward's head. He felt his vision go blurry and his body go numb. And a moment later, he found himself standing somewhere else. And his heart broke. He stood in a small bedroom in a small ramshackled house. He saw himself sitting next to it, uh, sitting in the, next to the bed, tears on its face, holding his mother's hand. It was midwinter in Ward's twelfth year. Along with the cold had come a terrible sickness. The majority of the city was infected, and the death toll was climbing. Do not cry, my child, Ward's mother whispered. It's all the strength she had. 
The young man did his best to hide his emotions. Ward remembered the day he'd lost his mother all too well. They were very poor, his father dying before he was even born. They'd done their best to scratch out a living in the city of Darmelet. So Darmelet is where they met Ward. And that's where he spent his whole life, is in that city. Uh, Darmelet. The temple of the city was packed, and the few clerics that lived in the city were already overtaxed. Ward had no money, and for the first time in his life he'd resorted to stealing, trying everything he could to buy the cures and potions that were being sold on the street corners. Ward knew that most of them were fake, false promises from swindlers. Still, he had to try anything he could to save the only person he knew and cared about. But now all of the money was gone. The street priests had all disappeared, either arrested or fled with their profits. There was nothing left for Ward to do but say his goodbye. His mother squeezed his hand. She was too weak to lift it. You'll make it all right, his mother assured him. Dirk the Butcher has promised to look in on you and will pay you enough to deliver his wares. He's a good man. So, mother knows she's getting sick, is passing. She reached out to maybe a friend of the family. There's a butcher in the city who's a good guy, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's possible that at this point, um, Ward had already worked for the guy, making a few coins here and there, delivering meats and such to different homes and businesses, things that uh, had been ordered from the butcher, maybe cleaning up and such, things of that nature. His mother, very likely as well, had helped there and scratch out other little jobs that they could. So the man was a nice guy. He said, yes, he's going to continue to pay you. He's going to check in on you. We, this little ramshackle house is ours, at least. You have it, but you know you have a place to live. I don't want to be alone, the young man whispered. It's not fair. Perhaps not, replied his mother. But who are we to say what is fair? There's a path for everyone, Ward. Fate has placed it into the world, and it's up to you to find it. I've always known you were meant for more than this. Promise me, my love, when fate comes for you, do not let it pass you by. The tears came again, but the boy promised. His mother smiled and nodded, and then closed her eyes. She would never open them again. Well, that's not the time to cry, Kitty. I had a kitty meow right at that moment. It was a very sad meow. Who's crying? You're good. So... We're getting a little bit of a feel for, for, for Ward's life, right? Much like Red went through, we're going back and, and Ward is having to watch some of his past. Now, Ward's a young guy, right? He's only like 16 years old at this point. He's the youngest one in the group and hasn't had that long of a life. Hi, Midnight. Hasn't had that long of a life, so can't help but wonder what all is it that, that they have to go back and watch, right? What is it that he's going to see and how is this a test for him? Um, because the first test wasn't so much of things that Red had to do, it was almost more of a test of the figure watching his past with him, determining whether his heart was true enough that this, this magical artifact could be entrusted to him. So now they're doing the same type of thing with Ward. Is this someone we can trust this magic character? I mean, let's be honest, he's a thief, right? Of anyone in the group, he's going to be the one most concerned with, do we want to put this in the hand of a rogue, right? Does he want to go sell it for profit? Like, what's he going to backstab his friends and make off with it? You can understand how there'd be a concern there, right? 
But his mother passed, and Ward was left basically alone at that point, other than uh, the little jobs and stuff he picked up. He made it through the winter unscathed. He did not get sick, um, but you can imagine that was a, a big hit to the city, which if you remember when they finally arrived at it, the city was a fair-sized little city, but definitely didn't seem as full as it should be. And that's A, partially because of a sickness that wiped out a large portion of the people. B, where that city is in merged worlds, there's not a whole lot you can do there. There's You can try to make money off of what's in the swamp, but the swamp is very dangerous. Going Many people who go in there go in too far are never seen again. Most people make their, you know, go in for a couple of hours, come back out, cutting down wood, fishing, things like that, catching frogs, whatever the case may be. Herbalism, it's a swamp, so I'm sure there's tons of flowers and roots and stuff in there that you could do. So there's, there's ways for people to make a living. Um... And there are some farms and such on the outskirts, you know, below the swamp. Because remember, the swamp, swamp is north, right? The city's just south of it. So there's land there where there's probably some farming, although the ground is not good for farming there. So they don't have a whole lot of that. Fishing is really a large part of uh, the meal structure in that area because the plentiful water and, and life in the swamp and hunting as well uh, for deer and crocodile and whatever else is in there. I'm assuming there's crocodiles. Let's say there's crocodiles. <laughs> No, we're not going to have to worry about those right now, though. So, after this sickness, the city's a little more empty, right? Um, and it's been building back up over the last few years. Because this, this happened when he was 12, now he's 16. We know it's about a four-year window there uh, where he lived in the city by himself. How? We're going to learn a little bit about that. Uh, but a big part of that was by making at least a little bit of coins, enough to keep himself fed and clothed from the butcher. Uh, Dirk, who, who again, I want to stress, is a nice guy. Dirk is not a villain in any way. We're not going into depth on Dirk. It's just a reference. Dirk's a good guy. Not super wealthy, so he only pays what he can, but he's helping look after the boy. The scene shifted and Ward found himself standing on a busy street. People passed without noticing him, as if he was not really there. He knew well where he was and crossed the street to the alley across the way. Passing between the buildings and onto another smaller street, he made his way south. He knew what he was expected to see. A short distance away, he came to, a, uh, to another small, poor home, though not as bad shape as his. It's a different home. It wasn't his, but he knew it just as well. And with a sigh, he went inside. You know, when I say he went inside, like he literally can walk through the wall. He's a ghost in this situation, a hologram, however you want to say that. He's within his own mind is the assumption that Red felt, that he was reliving through memories. Um, so he can't interact. Obviously, he can walk on the ground. He can walk up steps. That stuff works. But he can't really interact with people. They can't hear him. He can't interact with anything physical outside of that, other than walking up the ground on the ground and such. It doesn't fall through if there's stairs or something like that. I'll clear that up. She sat on a chair next to the fireplace, her long blonde hair hanging loose over her shoulders. As usual, he could only stare at her beauty as his heart skipped a beat. At her feet played a, small ch played a small child, a girl no more than a year old, and he smiled at the sight of her. The door opened and another ward entered the small building, a bag over his shoulder. Ward remembered this day about a year ago. The young ward greeted Maria, who rose to welcome him. I brought you some things, he said excitedly. He began pulling items from his bag. Bread, fruit, a small blanket. He stacked the items triumphantly like they were prizes he'd won. 
Ward, says Maria, this is all too much. You really shouldn't have. This costs far too much for you. No worries, said young Ward confidently. I was able to afford them just fine. I make plenty enough, and I'm very happy to help. Ward had been helping Maria for over six months, since her husband had entered the swamp and not returned. He was a logger, and his team of six had all gone missing. So six men go in there, getting wood, bring it back out. Probably been doing it for years at this point. And as sometimes happens, some people go into the swamp and never return. Obviously, people did look for them. There was no signs that he person even died. What happened to him? Just lost to the swamp. Since then, he'd done his best to help support the young woman and her daughter, asking nothing in return. The fact that she was five years older than Ward meant nothing to him. He'd been completely in love with her since the first time he'd seen her. And while he knew she didn't see him the same way, he hoped that one day that would change. She was correct, though. The money he made at the butcher barely paid enough to clothe and feed himself. Since his mom had passed away, he'd been supplementing his income as a pickpocket and thief. It turned out he had quite the knack for it, and had earned himself the the nickname Quick Fingers in the community. Now, when I say in the community, I mean the thief community, not necessarily the regular people community. Because you don't, you don't last long. If everybody knows you as quick fingers, everybody knows you're a criminal, right? He'd, hard, he'd worked hard to make sure Maria knew nothing about that side of his life, fearful she'd no longer accept his aid. She hugged the young man and thanked him. Older Ward couldn't help but wince at how awkward his younger self was. He watched his young boy uh, stuttered and excused himself before leaving. Ah, if he'd only known then. As his vision blurred, he shook his head. Because he knew where this was going. So none of this is a surprise to Ward. You know, when, when Red started to go through... Hey, Smitty. How's it going, Smitty? So as when Red was going through his, the first test, they had no idea what the test was. But Ward walked into this a little bit more prepared. Ah, one moment. Chalky milk break. Um, chocolate milk, the primary fuel for Redding Dungeons & Dragons. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Chocolate milk? For many people, it's Mountain Dew. I want to say Mountain Dew and chocolate milk are the two primary things that help you write Dungeons and Dragons. In case you ever wanted to write some, that's a clue. That's a hint. I'm just helping you out there. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that, Smitty. So, Ward's in here with a little bit more knowledge. In his mind, he's like, "Okay, this might suck because I see where the story is going, and clearly he knows where it's going." But his mind's like, "All I do is I have to get through this, right? I got to watch this." Live through this type of thing again. It's probably going to suck to have to see sad or bad memories and stuff. And hope that whatever it is we're looking at, or whatever this thing watching us is looking for, that um, it finds enough of whatever it wants to say he passed this test. If that makes sense, right? So he's confident. He's like, okay, well, I know what's coming. And you imagine him... I didn't do anything real bad. I stole some stuff, but I didn't kill anybody. Okay, and this is a quest of the mind, whatever. Right? He's trying to figure out what, what he has to do other than just watch. So, these events are coming closer to modern day, much more so than Red's. Red's was all back in his very close past. Ward started four years ago, then it was a year ago. Right, So we can only assume as this is getting closer, it's getting pretty close to the time that the current activities and adventure are going on. And we're going to definitely see that as we continue to move in. 
Ward made his way up the city street. Young Ward. I say young, even though it's like a year difference at this point. When I say young Ward, I mean the memory Ward. The, the, not the Ward that's doing the test, but w- the one that is in the memories. Okay? Just clarifying that. So Ward's making his way up the city street. The sun was falling and the warmth of the night was uh, setting in. So it's a warm night, summer. At this point, again, it's kind of deserty looking in this area, in the, in the circle that they're in. So the nights are relatively warm. <clears throat> uh, and the warmth of the night was setting in. His hair was slicked back and brushed. And he wore a fine new shirt. And in his hands, he held a bouquet of lovely flowers. Older Ward leaned against a wall, watching him coming. The seed before him was far too recent, and its wounds still too fresh. Even though he knew what was coming, he wasn't really prepared for it. Earlier that day, young Ward had been given an offer. He'd been approached by Johnny Slick earlier that day. Now, Deramet doesn't have a proper thieves' guild. Instead, they had Johnny. He was a small man, but dangerous. Uh, He was not someone you crossed, and it was best to stay on his good side. Ward had done a few small jobs for Johnny over the years, and the man had been impressed. At times, he'd even stepped in to help Ward with the city guard. You know, if there's hints or he gets in a little trouble, maybe gets caught doing something, Ward has enough sway to kind of step in and be like, eh, here's some money you didn't see that happen. You know, so Ward maybe owes him a little bit, and so Ward will help him on a job and maybe take us a bit smaller of a cut than he would normally have to do that as a way of paying back kind of thing. But uh, Johnny's like, okay, Ward's got some skills. I know I can trust him to do these things. He's pretty good at what he does. Um, let's see here. Um, I've been impressed. Times, yeah, here we go. Johnny had invited him on a new job, one with a huge payday. Seems that a local jewelsmith was expecting a secret delivery late that night that Johnny had become aware of. Johnny needed a small, skilled crew that he could trust and invited Ward, promising him an equal share of a small fortune. If Johnny was right, it would be enough money for Ward to finally take Maria and her daughter out of the city and set them up for life somewhere else. Ward had quickly agreed, and now he made his way to Maria's home to tell her that his fortunes had changed and ask her to leave the city with him. So he hasn't done the job yet. He knows it's going to be that night, right? But he's like, okay, in his mind, if we get these money and fortune or gems, and I get this profit, I don't want to hang around here very much, right? Don't want any questions asked. How did this guy come up with all this money out of nowhere? How'd you go from being super poor to super rich, right? This is something he has to worry about. So his thoughts would be like, if he succeeds, he wants to get out of the city relatively quickly. But with the amount of money... Johnny says he's going to have after all this. He should be more than capable of being able to do that and take Maria and their daughter with him. So this has kind of been an end goal. This is what he'd been saving up for. And he had a small savings at this point, not a ton. But he'd been stashing money away, trying for this goal. And this just kind of fast forwards him towards that goal. And basically, in his mind, make all his dreams come true. So now he's going to go and ask Maria ahead of time and say, Hey, and I'm a fortune change. I'm coming to some money. Probably tonight. Let's not talk about where. But tomorrow, if you and your daughter come with me, we'll take you out of here from this place where we're barely scratching away livings. And we'll be in a place where everything will be much better. And I'll take care of you guys on a permanent basis. Hopefully that makes sense. 
Now, as the young man came within sight of Maria's home, he was shocked to see several men moving in and out through her door, loading items onto a cart. He rushed forward just as Maria came out holding her daughter, and behind her came Neelan the blacksmith. Now, Neelan was a man in his early 30s, well-liked in the community, and a smith of some renown. Seeing Ward, Maria smiled and walked to meet him. What's going on? A confused Ward asked nervously. Oh, Ward, I'm so glad you came by, she replied. I wanted to share the wonderful news. Neelan has asked me to marry him. Ward was stunned. He knew Neelan was a friend of her late husband and that he checked in on her from time to time, but he had no idea that Neelan had been courting the young woman. Right? Because Ward's not there all the time. He's not underfoot. He pops in, hey, I got stuff for you. Maybe stops by once a day, once every other day. Probably just has some food. It's getting cold. Here's some blankets. Here's some new shoes, whatever. Things that he's able to get money to help out with here and there. So he may not realize, especially when you love's blinded eyes, if you will, he doesn't see that maybe she's already talking with someone else. You must be Ward, said Neelan, stepping to join them. Maria has said so many wonderful things about you and how much you've been helping her over the past year. Um, I was wondering when we'd have finally have the chance to meet. The large man extended his hand and Ward nervously shook it. The man was sincere and his smile was genuine. So there's nothing nefarious here. It's not like, aha, I took your woman. It's not that kind of thing, because she wasn't his. This is a gentleman who's excited. He has someone he cares about, and here's her friend who's been helping take care of her, and maybe Neelan has been helping some as well, as well as she taking care of herself, trying to raise a kid and have whatever job work she can do in the city, which, again, not a whole lot. Got to get by as best you can. Um, and... He's genuinely happy to meet Ward. Ward realizes this. He's like, this is just a nice guy. I see you, buddy. This is just a nice guy who's happy to share the news that he's going to basically be taking over, taking care of her full time. Oh, Mr. Midnight wants some pets. If you see me looking aside, it's because I'm petting my kitty who wants some attention all of a sudden. I think he's enjoying the heater. Okay, where was I? Ward, of course, in this situation, not really knowing what to do, congratulates them. Awkwardly, but, you know, with everything going on and every time to turn, oh, no, that goes over there. You know, they're talking to the men that are loading her goods onto this wagon. It's basically moving over to where, where Neelan lives. Again, a nice dude. Neelan makes it quite clear that Ward is welcome in their home anytime. You're a friend of hers, you're a friend of mine. Definitely, please come by dinner with us, so on and so forth. The wedding is going to be here very, very soon. We'd love for you to be there. All that kind of stuff, you know? Stuff you'd expect someone of a friend, right? Which is how it's supposed to be. It's at this point that Maria realizes that Ward's a little dressed up. He's got a nice new shirt on she's never seen before, and his hair's kept back, and he's holding a bunch of flowers. And she gets curious. She goes, what's with the flowers? How come you're so dressed up today? No, Ward doesn't know what else to say, so he just stammers, well, there's, uh, there's, there's, I'm ta taking them to a girl. There's a, there's a girl I'm, uh, I'm, I like. I'm, I'm taking them to her. Now, Maria's delighted to hear this, right? 
Ward, you found you found yourself a young woman? That's yeah, amazing. I'm so happy to hear it. Well, you know what? She's a lucky young woman to have found a nice guy like you. Ward, of course, miserable on the inside trying to fake this smile because he's genuinely happy for her, right? But he's just overwhelmingly depressed at this moment. <laughs> Has to say, yeah, yeah, I kind of thought she was too. Um, now there's something, there's a thump and somebody was dropped the box and Maria's like, oh, excuse me, I have to see to this. And she steps over and um, starts helping with, you know, telling where it'll put something or so on. You know, helping direct the moving kind of thing. And uh, Neelan kind of says to Ward, well, Ward, if you'll excuse me, we're trying to get this all done as quickly as possible. The, the festival going on tonight, these friends of mine, they're helping us out. I don't want to keep them from the festival any longer than we have to. But come on by later this evening or tomorrow when you get a chance. I hope you have a great time at the festival and, and bring the young lady that you're talking to. I'm sure that Maria would love to meet her. Ward, of course, says that he'll definitely come by as soon as he can and kind of excuses himself and just kind of steps back and doesn't quite leave the area, but kind of goes a little ways away out of, out of visual sight where he can still kind of watch. And he's just sitting there and kind of watching this very happy moment for someone he cares about, but at the same time watching all the things he'd hoped and dreamed for, at least over the last year, just all kind of fall apart. With nothing much else to do, filled with sadness and anger at the situation. And he's not angry with her, he's just angry at the situation. He has nothing else he can do but to go home, tossing the flowers in like a trash can or something on the way. When he returns home, same home that he'd grown up in, which is not in much better condition than when he got it, he, has no, he doesn't know what else to do, and he goes in and kind of sits down on the chair next to the empty bed that was his mother's. And just kind of sits there thinking and watching, you know what I mean? Um, the room seems basically unchanged from the time Ward and Ward maybe as an older Ward didn't realize that at the time but seeing he's like wow I didn't move anything like I kept mom's room exactly I kept it clean organized but I kept her room just like it was and he sees himself just kind of sitting there just lost in thought and the older Ward who by this point is not that much older but one who's being tested, can remember everything that was went through his head at that moment. It wasn't that long ago. Upset about why wasn't he good enough to, for her? Not that, again, he blamed her, but just in life. How come this had to happen in a way where I wasn't able to offer her something of that nature? Why is it that I had to be so poor? Or I, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm working hard, blah, blah, blah. blah. My father, maybe if my father hadn't died, so on and so forth. Mom, we would have the money. All this stuff just starts rolling through his head, just kind of an avalanche of crushing thoughts that he pushed back that for a long time Maria and helping Maria kind of helped him not deal with if you will sitting there Ward he knows he knows that he's going to come to the same decision that he did that same night he knows that he's going to decide to go ahead and join with Johnny after all going to go ahead with it you know he's going to finally change his life and Maybe he'll just up and leave himself then. Maybe he'll just take the money and go. Maybe he'll find someone else. He doesn't know if he can see Maria anymore. It's just going to be too hard to watch her happy with someone else. Maybe he'll just get the money. And if all goes well on the heist, he will get to move on with his own life uh, in a much better way. So Ward's vision blurs again. And then he found himself standing by the town plaza. He knew it had only been a couple hours, and the festival was in full swing. 
Looking around, he saw himself a short distance away, moving around the plaza towards Merchant Street and the place that he was supposed to meet Johnny. That is correct. The street that the merchant's on is named Merchant Street. You look back through history, that's how Merchant Streets first rolled around. Because that's where the merchants were. Just throwing that at you guys. A little history there. Sharing with you guys. So, he knows this night, right? It was only a couple hours from what we just saw. So the whole Maria thing, him going home, being frustrated and depressed, decides to join with Johnny on the heist. Now he's making his way towards Johnny. It's a little bit later in the evening, like late, early to mid-evening. But the town, there's this festival going on. There's people out dancing. The streets are packed. You know what I mean? People are singing and dancing. There's music and such going on. Probably... Illusionist wizards casting some spells, face painting, clowns, jokes, jesters, whatever. Probably a mime, the most evil of all creatures. Probably at least one mime somewhere on the street. Ooh, shivers. <laughs> Just throwing that at you. As he watched the young man himself, mind you, move easily through the street, he knew what came next. But suddenly, Wade was hit with a... No, Wade. Ward said that wrong. Ward was hit with a wave of nausea and vertigo. His vision swam, and then suddenly he had moved, and he was now standing where the younger version of himself once was. And something felt different. He couldn't quite put his finger on it until a man bumped into him, nearly knocking him over. Sorry about that, son, said the partygoer, who continued on his way. Ward was shocked. He wasn't watching the past anymore. He was there, living it. He looked towards Merchant Street, where Johnny and the others waited for him, as well as the wealth and the future that had been promised. He took a step, instinctually, in that direction, when suddenly he felt a wave of cold wash over him, just as it had the first time he'd lived through this moment. Turning, he looked into the plaza, and immediately he noticed a group of people moving through the crowd. They were strangers, did not recognize them, and they were strangely dressed. But they were dressed well, and obviously people of means. means they got some coin on them, they're wearing pretty good clothes. One in particular drew his eye. A young man, perhaps an elf from the pointed ears where where you could see on his head, uh, was among them and his long mane of snow-white hair stood out and shone almost like a beacon. So he looks out into this crowd, and sure enough, he sees Seraph and Red and that group going through the plaza. This is the night that he met them. And as he wasn't looking at them. He was literally going to go a different direction when this wave of cold just kind of washed over him. And instinctually, like, what was that? And looks around and sees these people walking through the crowd. Why did he suddenly feel so drawn to this young man? And why is it all he could think of was the last time that he'd spoken with his mother? Everything around him froze, and all was silent. Nothing moved. Ward spun around confused. This surely didn't happen the last time. All around him, the people were frozen in place. No sound, no movement. As he spun around looking at the frozen people, When he turned back again, he let a gasp and stumbled backwards. Standing before him was the tall, undead-looking figure from the chamber deep beneath the tree. Its lips did not move, 
yet its words echoed clearly in his mind. I will give you a choice, it said, a, ch a chance few men ever get. In this moment, you may change your mind. You can ignore them and continue on to meet your ally Johnny. If you do, I can promise you that you will be successful. You will have wealth and comfort, and many of the things you desired in life will be yours, and you will live a long and fruitful life. So this is different. This just isn't watching a memory. In this moment, where it's like, I'm, I'm, was I watching the actual past? Did I somehow go back in time? Did this thing do that? And I've been watching this happen, and now suddenly I'm back inside of myself and giving the chance to make a different choice in that moment. Because we all know the choice he made originally, right? The reason, that way they met him is he, he tried to pickpocket Seraph's purse. And Seraph, being Seraph, uh, probably would have been anybody else would have got away with it. But Seraph picked him up, grabbed him, lifted him straight, from the, straight up in the air, just straight from his hand. He's much taller than, than, than Ward is. But now he has a chance. He's like, okay, you can go that way. Meet up with Johnny, and I say yes. You'll be successful. You have wealth and comfort, live a long life, and many of the things you desired will be yours. Now, he doesn't say anything specific. Doesn't promise him that he's going to run away with them. He's going to find somebody else. Doesn't say anything of that specific. Only that many of the things you desired in your life will be yours. You gotta imagine Ward's got to think on that, right? He's only known the other group a short period of time. This is literally a week ago in his mind. Time very fresh. But what about Red, Seraph, and the others? Ward asked. Will they succeed on their quest? Will they be able to pass your tests and get the circlet and save that boy's soul? What will happen to all of them if I choose the other way? I cannot tell you that, the figure replied. Their fates will no longer be your concern. I can only say fate brought you together for a reason. It's up to you whether you choose to pursue it. So Ward, as you can imagine, just an influx of emotions, right? Because he knows what's going to happen. The dangerous, they live, but now he's under a tree. He could fail this test, or what if somebody else fails their test, or what happens next? He's in situations way... He's survived, mind you. Situations that were way more dangerous than he expected to run into when he agreed to go with these guys. And who knows what's still left ahead, Right? Could be worse. Or he could live a comfortable life with successfully helping Johnny rob this jeweler. Hmm. He thinks about Maria. I have the money. I show up, hey, I can now take care of you. Would, wouldn't you rather be with me? Do I want to mess with her life like that? She seems happy. She's got a, a place where she'll be taking care of someone. Do I want to mess with that? Do I want to mess with leaving my friends abandoned? It's, it's a lot for him to take in. And you can imagine he only has a very short time to think about it. Ward then looks over at his new friends in the crowd. He knows that they're good people. And has to kind of admit he liked how it felt knowing he was going to be helping people. Other, Because you know, he enjoyed helping take care of Maria. That was something, you know, in his mind, it, it wasn't a means to an end. It wasn't a, I'm a dude, I'm buying her love. That's not how he viewed that. It's like, I get to take care of her. I do really care about her, but, you know, I, I, I have an opportunity to take care of her. And, and kind of, in his mind, very Robin Hoody like in his actions. 
And in his mind, now he's been helping out Red and Seraph. He's like, well, it felt good knowing that I was help. I don't know who this person was, but I was still helping somebody. I was helping these guys, and we're all doing all this stuff, including crazy, dangerous things, to help some person I never met. It felt good knowing that he was doing what in his mind was viewed as the right thing, regardless of the danger. And of course, the last thing he remembers is sitting there holding his mother's hands. You know, said Ward, I'm starting to think maybe fate didn't lead Red to me. Perhaps fate led me to them. And what I need. Either way, I'll not abandon them now. I made a promise, and I plan to keep it. The figure nodded and faded away as Ward turned to walk into the moving crowd. Everything's back moving again, so the thing fades away. As he made his way towards the man with the white hair, he thought, Huh, wonder if I could get away with taking his purse. Ward's vision blurs. Body goes numb. Blah, 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 blah. And he finds himself standing back in the cavern under the tree. It's the figure's hands moving away from his head. It points towards the disc and nods, you may take the disc and move on to the third chamber. Ward steps up, still nervous, because you understand this is definitely out of his league level of magic power stuff. I was a street thief a week ago. This is way out of my league, but I'm making it my league. Walks up, takes the disc, and then quickly brings it back to Red, who smiles and takes it from him. And they all make their way out of the chamber, back down the tunnel that leads to the room of doors. The figure, of course, sat back down his throne, eyes closed as if it was now a statue kind of thing. So as they're making their way back, Ward does the same kind of thing Red does. Explains, okay, here's what I had to do, here's what happened. Maybe it doesn't, he doesn't give specifics, doesn't talk about Maria, because I went back in time to a place where I had a chance to choose. And this time it's different. He goes, I was given a choice. I had the opportunity to not come with you. And to be honest, I was given some good reasons why I shouldn't. I'm glad you chose to come with us. He's like, ah, I'm not looking for thanks. The choice I made was the choice I made. But that means that the, the two chests, their tests were not the same. Red didn't have to make any decisions. He was just judged for his past. I had to make a decision. So that means the third test could end up being very different than the first two. So we're kind of, well, they had similarities, of course. We went back in and looked in Red's heart and, or soul. Or, was, his was the soul and then looked in uh, his mind. Or, no, Red's was the, was the test of the heart. And then Ward's was the test of the mind. That leaves the test of the soul. What kind of what does that mean? Don't know. But sharing as much information as he can, giving away too much personal stuff, uh, might help the next person pass their test. Which we're going to continue right into that. The third and final chamber was much the same as the previous two. So we're skipping past opening the door. They open the door, they walk down the tunnel, they're entering into the third chamber. Third and final chamber was much the same as the previous two. Though on the dais, instead of a silver disc, sat a thin silver circlet on a pillow. The third, when the third figure rose from its throne, all of them could feel the power emanating from it. 
You have come to face the final test, it said. Do you accept this challenge? No one was surprised when the figure spoke directly to Seraph. So this one stands up. Obviously, the robes are even more ornate. This would be the equivalent of what would look like a high priest. Super fancy robes. You know, they look roughly the same because the skin's all shrunken down on the skulls, remember, right? So they probably were different people, but you look pretty much the same when your skin shrunks down to your skull. Uh, maybe one was completely bald, one had some wisp of hair, whatever the case may be. There's a little bit of differences between them. But this one, when it stands up and speaks, it just from its voice speaking, they can just feel waves of power. This thing in front of them is powerful. Very, very much so. So much so that Seraph and everybody in this one was like, boy, I hope this isn't a fighting test. Because Seraph literally is like, I don't know if I could take this. I don't think I could. I mean, clearly it's a thing of magic. Could I even kill it? Is it dead? Is it alive? I don't know. But it asks every question. Are you willing to accept this? And Seraph said, I am, he replied. The figure stepped forward and placed its hand on Seraph's head. And suddenly... It felt as if Seraph was being pulled apart in all directions at one time. He began to fall farther and farther into what felt like a bottomless darkness that would go on forever. So right there, very different feeling than what Red or Ward felt. Remember, their lips go numb, their vision gets blurry, and then suddenly they're somewhere else. Seraph's is a completely different thing. Literally, it feels like he's, he's being ripped apart. Not so much in pain, but just that feeling of being pulled apart. And he feels like he's falling. He's not standing anymore, and just darkness is all around him. And he's just falling into what would be a bottomless pit with no light. Seraph awakens to find himself on the ground. Doesn't know if he was unconscious, if he, how long he was out, if he was. Only that he was, finds himself on a very hard and rocky ground. He stands up, although he feels like a little wobbly from the experience. All around him is just flat, rocky ground. Unnaturally flat, rocky ground. Let me space that out. Just Although in the distance, in many directions, he can see what appear to be giant, big, sharp mountains that are more of a silhouette than anything else. They're so far away. He sees little to no vegetation, maybe a few little dry plants sticking out of the ground here, there, the silhouette of a husk of a once-living tree, but no forest, nothing like that, just emptiness. The sky itself is swirling between red and black, and it appears to be moving with no clouds, but the sky itself, almost like a liquid, is swirling and moving much too fast. And there is no sun, moon, or stars. Looking around him, he stops and he turns and he sees the figure from the chamber standing next to him. And the figure is looking around and Seraph looking at this figure is like, gets the same feeling. He doesn't know where he is either. The figure turns to him and Seraph can feel its anger. How did you do this? It asks. What do you mean? Seraph asks. Is, is this the test? Is this, is this somehow the test? How have you brought us here? The figure says, even more angry, taking a step towards him. This is not possible. Seraph just is confused, although he takes a step back. He can feel the anger 
of this creature in front of him that seems to be very confused about where they're standing more so than what he is. All of a sudden, about that time, Seraph and the figure both, I say the figure, we'll say that the, the, the chamber guy, Seraph and the figure from the chamber both stop and both feel the same thing. They, they don't really hear it more than an absence of sound, but it comes with a direction. And suddenly they can feel something. And both of them turn and end up looking in the same direction. Of course, there's no north, south, east, or west here. They have no idea which direction he's looking. But Seraph can see that both he and the figure from the chamber are both drawn towards the same direction, and he doesn't quite feel why. Sarah can feel power from all around him. He has since the moment he got there. He realizes that. But from this direction, he can feel a power unlike anything he has ever conceived of. Not just power, but it emanates fear and strength. And just like a, a, a feeling of domination, like something of just like of dominate is, is coming. And that's the feeling of, again, something is coming towards them. The wind starts to pick up and swirl, if there's any direction. So much so that it becomes very loud in their ears. It's howling. The figure from the chamber turns and looks at Seraph. And on its face, you know, it hasn't shown emotion and we can feel it, but this time he can actually see emotion in the thing's dried up face. And for the first time, it's anger and fear. What have you done? It asked. What are you? Again, they feel this thing coming. And now when they look in that, you know, the figure and Seraph both look back. They can see almost like in the distance. Imagine if you saw like a big cloud, right? Coming up over the mountain. Mountains way off in the distance. You see a big cloud, like a storm type looking thing, moving, finally coming into view. Not coming up over, but just coming into view. Like it was so far away. If you played a video game, well, it's like your render distance, right? It just suddenly comes into view. It phases in that this something a huge, massive, taller than the mountains is coming in that direction. The figure from the chamber yells towards Seraph over the howling winds. Your soul is not worthy. Your soul is chaos filled with a dark fate. And the figure begins to raise its hands, which begin to glow. And Seraph hears the familiar chanting of spellcasting. He has many instincts hit him at once. Draw his weapon and charge in and fight. Or try to flee. Seraph's a fast guy. Can I get away from this? He sees these, these things. Do I fight? Do I stay? Do I run? But he doesn't do any of those things. He can't help it. He's not even really paying attention to the hands that are getting brighter on the figure from the chamber. He's just looking at that shape that's getting closer and closer as more power and anger literally washes over them in waves. 
and then the cloud begins to take a shape, a massive shape. And they see no details. It's almost more of a silhouette. You can see great horns on its head. It's a creature of huge proportions, muscle. In its hand, it holds some type of dark glowing blade. A blade that, mind you, bigger than the mountains, this thing is ginormous. The blade it holds, you only know it's there because it's not. It's a void of darkness. It's almost like looking at space on a handle, if you will. The void of darkness that is the blade. And the figure, the silhouette, opens its eyes. I see you, comes a voice that washes over the rocky plains like thunder, nearly knocking Seraph and the figure from the chamber off their feet. The figure still trying to cast its spell, but it's finding itself literally being blown around by the winds. I found you, the great figure says. Silhouette, Chuck. The figure from the chamber is still trying to cast its spells, but the sh- great shadowy eyes begin to glow brighter, and as it does, the figure from the chamber begins to scream. And Seraph can't help but look at it and see as the winds are hitting it, it's ripping it apart, almost turning parts of it into dust. It's, it's coming apart, dissolving from the fury of the winds, and, and the, Seraph can see it's coming from whatever that is. And he sees that the creature is literally being torn apart, interrupting its spell and ripping it to pieces. This figure that until a few moments ago, Seraph thought was, this is way too powerful for me to fight. And whatever that is, is just tearing it apart. As the winds nearly blow Seraph over, he once more hears the voice, I see you, the great shadow says. Back in the chamber, the figure's mouth opens much too large. You've ever seen a horror movie and the mouth goes open way wider than it's supposed to? Undead thing? Happens. And begins to scream a shriek so loud that Sarah's friends can't help but clap their hands over their head. The figure bursts into flames and Seraph's body goes tumbling back. Deacon steps up quickly to catch him from falling. Seraph is once again back in his own body. The figure in the chamber has burst into flames and is just screaming. Seraph, who has very, very sensitive hearing, hurts him the most. Sensitive hearing is great until something like this happens. And the figure literally burns, begins to fall apart into ashes. And when that happens, the ground around them begins to shake, almost like an earthquake. And they hear cracking noises in the rock from around them. And the ground beneath their feet begins to split and crack. As the figure's body falls to ash, Red, without anything, rushes forward and grabs the circlet off of the dais next to the throne. As he does, the floor cracks and splits open. Literally just a crack in the room, almost if you would imagine the flats, right? The joint. It cracks and the floors tilt, almost like you took a, a snow globe and snapped the bottom and pulled it apart. Right, so the floors are on an angle here. On rock, pieces of rock start falling from the ceiling into this, and with a quick look down, you'll see this crack just goes off into whatever. 
Can't see a bottom. As this cracks and crumbles, red, it crumbles underneath his feet, and red jumps to try to get across, but misses, and instead falls into the <clears throat> falls into the hole. At the same moment, the ground beneath Dina's feet crumbles, and she too begins to fall. Red had almost reached the other side and managed to grab on to the rock. So he's holding on to the rock. His fingers are near the top of it. And then Dina comes crumbling, falling past him. Instinctually, he reaches out and grabs her. And literally grabs her from by her foot and it jerks him. And you can imagine his arm. It's just got to rip the arm out. And he feels like his hand's starting to slip off when he feels a hand around his wrist. And it's Seraph. So Seraph's holding on to Red's wrist, while Red is using the other hand to hold on to Dina's leg. But in order to grab Dina, he had to let go of the circlet. Circlet fell from his hand. And just a couple feet, didn't go very far, hooked onto a piece of the rock. Just kind of hanging on a piece of the stone, almost within reach of Dina. Seraph begins to pull them up, and Dina yells, Wait! I can get it! The circlet! Rocks are still cracking and crumbling. The whole place is shaking, and Seraph, who's strong, is struggling a little bit, mostly because he's trying to maintain his balance on the edge of a cliff, holding on to these two people, right? Hurry, yells Red. My arm's giving out. Seraph tries to move a little bit, to move Dina closer, and as he does, Red swings a little bit as well. And as he does, several things fall out of his pockets. Understandable. Kind of hanging sideways there, right? And out from his pocket falls a silver key. And it lands on a little piece of rock just a few feet below the circlet. Grab the key, Red yells. He promised that key to Seraph. It's the only key he's got. That's the Realm Gate key. Everybody recognizes it immediately. Seraph, starting to feel the ground beneath himself getting a little loose and giving way, has to start pulling them up. And begins pulling up Red. Dina only has a split second, and she makes her choice. And she reaches out, and she grabs the circlet as she's being pulled up. The ground shakes again, and she sees the key tumble off down into the darkness. Now, as this is happening, while this is going on, behind them there's a large crack from above their friends. And Deacon looks up just in time to see a huge piece of rock falling towards him. Then suddenly he's in the air. He's been shoved out of the way. And Ward literally pushes him, knocks him out. The rock comes down, landing on Ward, on his legs. And there's a cracking noise when it does, and Ward screams out in pain. Deacon and Mugen, of course, come over there and are trying to lift the rock, but it's, it's big, it's heavy, right? It's not just a rock, it's part of the ceiling is caved in. It's a bunch of rocks at this point. And the room begins to crack, and more pieces of the floor start to collapse in. They see Seraph pulling up their friends, and Ward's like, get out of here, just go. Of course, that, they're not, they're not going to do that. It's just not how they roll. 
So they're trying to lift it, and Deacon's yelling for Mugen to help. Help me lift this! And he's trying to pull, and he's trying to think, do I have a spell? What do I have that could move this rock but won't hurt Ward and such? And Mugen is just kind of staring there, and he's just standing looking at looking at Ward and looking at the rock, and his eyes are just going back and forth, and he looks confused. Mugen, help me! He yells as he's trying as Deacon tries to lift this rock, tries to lift it up. He starts he thinks, okay, maybe I can do this spell. And he yells out Mugen, and Mugen yells, Shut up, Deacon! Deacon's shocked. And Mugen looks and goes, I got it! I found it! And he reaches into his pack real quick, and he pulls out a big metal spike. The type of spike that they would use when climbing. Now, most of these guys have some climbing skill. Hammer and pitten. I cannot tell you enough. You're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Always buy a hammer pitten. These are the spikes used for climbing. They have multiple uses. And in this moment, Mugen grabs one and he sets it up against the rock, just about a foot and a half above where Ward is. And he yells at Deacon to grab it. Deacon does. And he says, and he and Deacon, okay, grabs it and holds it there, and Mugen pulls out his war hammer. And he looks at Deacon and he says, Don't move. And Deacon looks at him and says, Don't miss. Mugen's like, woo, and just hauls off and swings as hard as he can and hits the end of that spike. And it goes in just about an inch into the rock. Mugen pulls back again and with all the strength hurls in as quickly as he can, brings it with all of his strength. And when he hits the end of that spike, there's a crack noise and the rock splits and it wedges, sunders, if you will, in the center, kind of comes in a Y crack. Dropping what's in their hands, they quickly reach down, pull out a couple pieces of the rock, and are able to pull the rock aside enough that they're able to slide their friend out. Now, looking at it, they can tell the one leg's bent on a weird angle. Ward's leg is cracked and busted. So at the same time that they're pulling him out, Sarah finishes pulling Dina and Red out of the crack. The whole place is shaking at this point, crumbling and such. They can hear things creaking, and they hear more screams from somewhere else. Not a good sign. We gotta go, yells Red. And he looks down in the key, and Seraph goes, he looks and goes, the key, Seraph's like, we don't have time, we gotta go. Seeing what his friend's doing, Seraph runs over real quick, looks down, and of course scoops up their little friend, not Mugen. Ward scoops up Ward and his broken leg because he's gonna be he's the strongest, he move fastest. We gotta go and begins leading them out of the place. And as they're going through rushing, things are cracking and crumbling, and they're trying to make it through the tunnel. They can hear it falling behind them, collapsing in. And they make it into the room of the doors, and they can see smoke coming out of the other two doorways. And they can hear sounds in there, like screams. But they rush to the stairs and start making their way back up. The guy, hoping it's not too slippery. Remember, I talked about how slippery it was going down. They start rushing up the stairs, hearing the thing collapsing and falling apart beneath them. And then suddenly they hear what almost sounds like a thunder crack, right? Imagine a thunder crack a thousand times louder than a thunder crack, right? Probably to us, atomic bomb. That's the closest thing I could think of, right? An explosion, a crack, a noise of that caliber. 
from above them. And they just start going even faster. Not that they weren't going fast already, but they start going faster. Hello, Max. Good day. They come bursting out of the ground. Seraph's in the lead because he's going fast and he's carrying Ward. And so they, once they hit the ground, they keep going because they don't know what's happening. The whole thing could be caving into a giant hole for all they know. That's not what happens. And they run a good distance away before finally being able to stop and turn. And looking up, they can see that the tree itself has a crack going up from the base up towards, and the tree is literally split and not like falling right over. It's a massive tree. But it did crack and separate some. They literally split this tree. That was the, the noise they heard. It split the wood. Almost like lightning hit it, but coming from the base up instead of from the top down. Which means the magical explosion that erupted in there was of epic proportions. The friends, again, move a little bit further away before Seraph sets down Ward and they start tending to his wounds. They have a couple healing potions, of course. They carry them for these situations. Won't unbreak his leg right away. There's no cleric there. But it's enough they're able to split it up and at least help the healing process a little bit until they can get him some better help. They can't help but watch the tree as they still hear some rumblings from underground, but it slowly starts to fade off. Now, there was no time to talk about all this. But you can imagine that now that everything's starting to calm, Everybody just turns and looks at Seraph. Because that's not how the last two tests ended out. In that same moment, thousands of miles to the south, far out into the water, a man steps from his cabin on his ship. His incredibly large first mate steps over and asks, Everything all right, Captain? The man nods. Small man nods. And says, Turn the fleet north. It's time we go. The big first mate looks a bit surprised. You found him? The captain nods. It's time for us to get involved in this little game. It has officially begun. And that's what I have for today. So... Folks may have some questions. If you do, feel free to hit me up, both in the uh, uh, chatty section or down in the comments, or you can join my Discord. Links to that are down underneath in the links of all my YouTubes up there. Uh, Discord, you can also find on my website, onlydraven.com. There's threads specifically for Merge Worlds. Love to hear your thoughts, feedback, and questions. It would be very, very cool. Again, we're right about the hour, hour 15 minute mark, which is what I've been shooting for lately, making these episodes a little bit more digestible for folks. So hopefully you enjoyed it. 
This is not the end of that storyline. We're not done with them yet. So we're still going to be continuing with the Seraph section of the story when this is done. But uh, I can say that <laughs> something important has come into play. Let's give you one more look at what Ward looks like. Young Ward. Quick fingers. I like Ward. I like Ward a lot. For those who have asked, um, I go to a website called Hero Forge, where you can custom design minis, and you can buy them and they'll send them to you. They're not a sponsor. I don't make any money off this. I'm just, I like them as a company. You can design your own minis, different poses, different clothing, different looks, different races, give them all sorts of stuff. Uh, the amount of stuff that they've released in the amount of December is ungodly, and they usually do. It's the if, counting down till Christmas. They give out, they add new stuff every day, from clothing to weapons. There's a whole new mount and pet system that's come out, like literally in the last day or so. I haven't looked at yet, where you can have like bear pets and duck pets. Like, like for druids and such. So there's a whole bunch of new things in there I'm excited to jump into. Um, but they've added a whole lot of new stuff, including poses, haircuts, new clothing. Uh, if you play D&D &D and you'd like a mini, or you just like to design a cool character, uh, you can go there. You can get, uh, for a few bucks, you can get the thing where they'll send you. You can 3D print it yourself. Or you can order it from them painted or unpainted. Uh, so a lot of options there. Again, not a sponsor. Just a wonderful website that I use a lot. Uh, I like to share that with folks. But thank you all very much for coming by. I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share my tale once again. I'll be back here in two weeks for the next step, which will be in the new year. We'll be in uh, 2023 by that point. And that'll be episode 93. We're only seven, eight episodes away from 100. I can't count, so it's somewhere around there. I'm very excited about that. I have some, uh, hopefully some cool things planned for uh, number 100. Um... If you haven't already, please be sure to click like on the stream. Uh, even if you're watching this 10 years down the road, it definitely helps the channel. Um, also, uh, if you have Spotify or iTunes, it would be overwhelmingly wonderful. Great Christmas present to your friend Draven. If you wouldn't mind swinging over there and giving the podcast a follow there as well. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere at this point. Except for the last episode, which for some reason didn't load. I have to fix that. And then this episode, which I'll have up in the next few days. Uh, but yeah, if you got a chance, swing by there. Give it all the, the five stars and reviews and the thumbs up or the likes or whatever it is on the one you're looking at. Uh, I just appreciate you giving it a follow and a listen. But thank you once again for coming and hanging out with me. Hopefully you liked today's episode. I look forward to hearing from you. And uh, I hope you have a great rest of your year. All right? Thank you for joining me on Merge Worlds. I will see you all again very, very soon. Have a great day.